This is episode 24 of the Chicken Charge podcast with CEO of All-in-One Security, Mary Parker. Today's guest is Patrick Gall. As executive director of the National Technology Security Coalition, Gall has responsibility to stay at the cutting edge of information technology and its impact on commerce. Guiding the national pool of chief information security officer, Gall is charged with designing effective, relevant programs for the country's top information officers. Welcome to the Chicken Charge, All-in-One Security CEO Mary Parker celebrates the success of women in the world of business and in life. Mary's own humble beginnings in rural Mississippi led her to become one of the only African-American females running a multi-million dollar security firm. She is definitely the chicken charge. Here now is Mary Parker. Hello, hello, hello. It's Mary Parker, CEO, All-in-One Security, and the founder of The Chick in Charge podcast. Thank you so much for being here this afternoon. We're going to continue rolling. And with me today is certainly my co-host, Sarah Smith. Every time she introduces me, I laugh. And Port Wilson is with us Yay, today Port. as well. Our next guest is Patrick Gall. And I tell you right now, get ready, because he's got tons of information to share with us. And I'm sure you would agree. Anyone who is executive director of the National Technology Security Coalition is someone big, and we have him in the house with us today. Delighted to be here. Thank you for being here with us. <laughs> well, today. thank you for inviting me. Let it roll. Tell us who you are and some of what you do. Okay. So the National Technology Security Coalition emerged from the Technology Association of Georgia, which is the largest technology association in North America, wow. with over 35,000 members. And they wanted, it's part of their quantum growth strategy, they wanted to create an entity within Georgia that had a national identity. And so we looked at all of the, the areas where Georgia is strong, health IT, FinTech, but the, you know, sort of the nexus of all of that is cyber. And so what was the niche? Uh, they did some research and they discovered, interestingly enough, a voice absent on the Hill that's not being heard on Capitol Hill is the voice of the Chief Information Security Officer. So the NTSC... That was a big... That was big. Yeah. So the NTSC was set up to become the preeminent advocacy voice for the Chief Information Security Officer nationwide. And the way we're doing that is we're amassing a board of directors of Chief Information Security Officers, or CISOs, um, from across the nation. So we have people like United Airlines and we have people like uh, Johnson & Johnson and AutoNation and Dollar Tree and Ellie Mae and uh, Discover Financial Services and MasterCard and I could go on and on. We're up to 32 board members today. Wow. And then we created an advisory board that consists of senior technology security executives from the companies that surround the CISO, so the solution providers, so mm -hmm. IBM Security and Juniper Network and Ionic Security core security and signal sciences and we also added some special advisors um, we're very proud that just recently we had general lieutenant general kevin mclaughlin who's the former deputy commander of u.s cyber command he just retired right. last august um, we are in conversations with a couple other people that were, were really keen including another, another uh, person out of cyber command who's about to retire um, and then we created a policy council that's comprised of the governmental affairs executives from our board members gotcha. and a couple, two, three of the top cyber lawyers in the country. 
that focus on national data breach notification legislation, which is our number one policy agenda item. Did anybody um, say why are you why are you out of Atlanta? Yeah, that came up a lot. And um, what we try and help people understand is Georgia is more than just peaches and peanuts and, you know. And so, a busy airport. Yeah, and a busy yeah. airport, some of the stereotypes. I mean, if you think about financial technology, for example, 75% of all credit card, debit card, and reward card transactions are, are processed right. in Georgia. Right. We call that transaction alley between Columbus and Atlanta. Yep. You have 51%. You know, you're the leader. You have 75%. You're dominant. Right. So um, you think about fin, uh, fin, that's fintech. You think about health IT. We're arguably the the leader in health IT in the country. But then you think about cyber. We have 115 cyber companies. We have uh, we rank in the top five in cyber revenue in the nation. We have eight nationally recognized cyber programs at colleges and universities across the state, including arguably the the best master's program at Georgia Tech yep. in the country. Um, we have nine military installations where we've just opened up an $80 million innovation center in, um, yeah, in Augusta, Augusta, and that's unique. Yeah. Nobody else is, no yeah. other state in the country has done something like that. There are cyber ranges and innovation centers across the country, but uh, the one we've got in Georgia is fairly unique. Um, you know, home to U.S. Army Command, home to part of Cyber Command, which is moving down there. we got the Cryptographical Center, which is a $240 million NSA installation, um, it, it, which most people don't realize exists in Augusta. But uh, the NSA have a huge facility down there. I've had the privilege of being there a number of times. Um, the Army Cyber Warfare S School is there. Um, I could go on and on and on. But we are a hub for cyber. And um, we just recorded our, our biggest year in uh, capital investment in, in companies in Georgia. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's why uh, I tell people why Atlanta matters. Atlanta really does matter exactly. in so many ways, and I'm so proud to be here. So well, and, and it's really not fair to say Atlanta. I mean, it's the state. I mean, well, whether it's Augusta or it's Columbus or it's Atlanta or even even Macon has a, a hub of, of activity down there. If you've ever gone to a First Friday in Macon, no, you should go down to Macon and do a First Fridays in Macon. It is it is a hot city, and you know Mercer University is rapidly becoming one of the top research mm -hmm. schools in the country. Yep. Um, lots of good stuff going on in this state. That's well, we'll great. make sure we get there on First Friday. Absolutely. Yes, we will. So, Patrick, you know, is this is so much going on in that cyber world, and so many attacks are coming up on us, and we're going to talk locally here. Okay. So we talk Atlanta, and we don't we won't get into any specifics. But what are some of the things that you would advise? A city like Atlanta, any city really, in terms of proactiveness as it relates to cybersecurity? So that's an interesting question. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's a good um, question. I, I think for, for any, any company, any chief information security officer in any company, you have to figure out how you, you know, let, let's step back a second. What's the role of the CISO? Everybody kind of talks about that. The role of the chief information security officer is to protect the revenue of the company. And how do they do that? They do that by protecting the data, whether it's consumer data or intellectual property. But, you know, it's about risk mitigation. It's about being able to quantify and measure the risk and the mitigations required to uh, avoid those risks. And um, 
that's a huge challenge because, you know, three years ago, CISOs almost never got in front of board of directors. Right. And now they get now they're more on the hot air, seat. Yeah, they, do. they get yes. plenty of airtime, yep. trust me. Yep. And so when they walk in, they have to be able to talk outside of tech speak, right? You, you, you can't walk to a board member and say, I'm going to invest in this solution because it does deep learning and it machine to machine and blah, 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 and the board member's eyes just glaze over. Right. You have to be able to go in and talk to them about what it means to the business, what it means to what, what, what's going to happen if we get breached. What's the risk to our um, reputation? What's the liabilities that we're going to face? Um, you know, are our consumers going to abandon us? Uh, and, and so if I can make these investments, I'm going to be able to mitigate these risks, and they're going to have this impact, and you still got to be able to measure it. And you may be measuring it by how many attacks you're preventing and, and how, many, how much malware you're discovering. I mean, it's just uh, I, I, I deal with chief information security officers every single day. Right. I wouldn't want their job to save my life. Question for you. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is, um, the board itself, when they're looking at the CISO, they don't, they're not prepared to discuss cyber. Um, how, you know, what would a CISO's dream board look like? Oh, a, a group of people who graduated with degrees in computer science <laughs> would be the dream. But even, even, even the, even to be interested in it. Because um, I know, think about Equifax or even Coca-Cola. Um, some of the board members, if they don't really know about that realm of the business, they don't ask questions about it. They they sit back. Um, I think that's changing. I think that's, that's what I wanted to ask yeah, you. Yeah, I think that's. Has it changed? Yeah, I think that's dramatically changing. As I think about the number of chief information security officers that I deal with, who who talk about board presentations, it's it's more and more and more. I, 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 you know, there are a number of in my community who report directly to the board as well as right. the CEO. You know, the, the, the traditional um, hierarchy was that the CISO would report to the CIO, yep. which is kind of convoluted because when you think about it, the CIO is making decisions about IT investments in the company, and the CISO's job is to evaluate those decisions, and yet they're evaluating the decisions of their boss. Um, so <laughs> now you've got friction between the CISO and the CIO. So yeah, does and you, does, then you've got the chief privacy officer, or the chief risk officer. And I had a, I was in uh, Washington last week at our national policy conference, and right. I was sitting with a chief risk officer from a Fortune 100 company, and she said sometimes she feels like the judge, and that the the CIO is the prosecutor and the CISO is the plaintiff. And she has to be the judge to, to, to you know, negotiate, can, navigate these things. Yeah, that can be very difficult yeah. as well and create a, a somewhat of an unpleasant working environment in cases like that. I wouldn't want to be in that position either. So for business owners, cybersecurity in many cases is the last thing we think of if we ever think about it. What are some of the things that you would say to a small business in terms of protecting their information, their data, and their, uh, their data and finances? 
Well, I, I think first thing I would say is go go look at the Panaman Institute's um, cost of a data breach study, which comes out every year, and you will realize that the small businesses that get breached typically are out of business within six months. The average cost of a small business for a breach could be as, as much as $50,000. Right. Most small businesses can't endure a $50,000 breach. And insurance is becoming more increasingly harder to get because what's the purpose of insurance? It's to you know, protect against any event, you know, the chances you might wreck your car once or twice in your life. But they're reading about breaches every single day. Right. Small businesses are particularly targeted because frequently they're third-party suppliers yes. to major corporations. Yes. Or and, cities. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, you know, 80% of major corporations share access to their data with third-party suppliers, but only 28% of them have security procedures in place uh, in terms of how they deal with those third-party suppliers. So if you're a small business providing um, security services security to ser Delta Airlines, absolutely, right? you know, you could be a uh, target depending on what kind of data you have access mm -hmm. to. And if you think about how Target got hacked, Target got hacked through, you know, a third-party supplier, yeah. air conditioning, yeah. venting, yes. you know, uh, HVAC company. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a huge concern for, for small businesses. I would say look at just some, some basic essentials. Office 365 provided some really nice inherent security. You know, 90% um, of, um, that's great of to all, know. all hacks are like phishing emails. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's, large corporations spend a lot of time educating their folks about that. But small business owners, my, my wife is a principal with Atlanta Ballet. And she sent me an email the other day, and she said, tell me what to do with this. And it was somebody sending her an email with an attachment saying that your Amazon order is on the way. Please click on this. And, of course, they hadn't ordered anything from Amazon. Um, but they're targeting Atlanta Ballet. Well, Atlanta Ballet, fortunately, doesn't keep any credit card information that they get. They destroy it. But if they did, this would be a person trying to figure that out. Right. So um, Office 365 is, is, a, is a good um you know, educate your employees. There are some companies out there, especially for small to medium enterprises. There's a company called Interdev uh, outside the, um, what do we, we don't call it the Beltway here. What do we call it? Uh, 285. <laughs> 285. <laughs> I've been in D.C. too long. Um, but they, um, Interdev and Gary Nichols and his team do a great job of helping small businesses think through their security practices. Oh, that's that was great. a plug for Gary, by the way. Yeah, um, I like. I, did, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, he is on my advisory board. Hey, um, Gary. But uh, but but no, he does a great job, and um, you know companies need to take the time because the reality is if they get breached and they and they lose consumer data, they're probably going to go out of business. I have a question. Just popped into my head because we're doing this Facebook. Uh, what do you think about what's going on with Facebook right now? Yeah, you know, I got to ask that question recently. Oh, yeah. Um, what did they lose? $119 billion, billion. in market yeah. cap Billions. yesterday? Yep. Um, if, even, even, even if you don't like Mark Zuckerberg, you got to feel sorry about yesterday. Um, I, I, I have a pragmatic perspective on it. I mean, if you're going to go on to an online digital media platform and you're going to share stuff about your private life and photos and you're going to have any expectation of privacy you're nuts yes you're just nuts so you know if you don't want your information leaked don't share it right and i know a lot of people who don't have facebook um 
profiles. I do, but I don't have any expectation of privacy uh, on Facebook. And even with the information you provide, you can be very limited of how much of that you share. Exactly. Sure, sure. I mean, don't post pictures of your teenage daughter when you're on your beach you Trip, know, vacation yeah. and, and yeah. you know um, be careful about how your kids interact with it and um, you know you know give them a book instead of a you know a device when they're young teach them how to read you know you're so on point here because I, I think you know when we talk about security and, and cyber and all of that we, I don't know that we're including our children and that is where we need to be making sure that the kids understand how they're using information today and how that's going to have be it positively or negatively impact on their lives in the future so we absolutely should be training them of which i'm going to have about 400 kids in my yard next saturday what tips can you give me three tips that i can share with those young people some are going away to college others are in high school grade school middle school what can I tell them? Give me three things about cybersecurity. That's good. Well, you know, it's kind of hard because most kids, and I have a 20 and a 22-year-old at home, and they have no sense of privacy. Um, they, they just don't. I'm married to a Brit, so it's privacy. Um, <laughs> you know, um, they just have no sense. And, um, and it's something they really need to start thinking about yeah. because, you know, the, the cyberbullying that's going on, um, across the country is, is, is appalling, um, but also the the number of predators who are, who are you know seeking young uh, children Sex online. Sex trafficking, to, all that. Yeah, I mean, just just be aware that this is not a safe environment. Just as we we urge our kids not to talk to strangers, you know, it's not just don't talk to strangers on the street. Don't talk to strangers online. Right. You know, be be aware of it, and and you know, especially for the youngest children, keep them offline. I was I was in a uh, the barber shop uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday, and M walked one of the top, you know, powerhouse entrepreneurs in the in, in the city of Atlanta, you know, uh, with his three young ones on in tow, wow. uh, a daughter and two sons getting their haircuts, the sons and the, and the father, and um, but they had books, they didn't have iPads right. or iPhones or anything else. They had books. And I and I so admire that. I admire that man anyway, but I so admire that young man because he walked in and how many times do you see the kids walking in with the, the, the iPhone or right. with, you know, and they're online and the parents are not paying any attention. Right. You know, pay attention to your kids. Um, that's the thing for the parents, but for the kids, don't talk to strangers. You know, be, be sensitive to what you share because that can come back at you. Sure. You share something online and it comes back and, um, you know, it, 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 kids just have, you know, we have, to, we, have to, we have to get kids to understand that it's a dangerous world. Absolutely. I was sharing with my granddaughters yesterday, um, the baby granddaughter turned 17 and she's preparing to go off to college. And we had a discussion about, you know, things she's reading online, offline, but more importantly, the activities that you're participating with online. And I shared that with them because I was talking with someone earlier yesterday. There was this phenomenal candidate for a job. It was something, everything was almost perfect, but it was one thing kept nagging at one of the interviewers. 
And they said, let me just take a look and see if I can find them on Facebook. And they did. It cost them that job that was starting as $72,000 a year. Absolutely. Remarkable for a 30-year-old, right? Absolutely. So um, something on Facebook said, Something on Whoa, Facebook stopped. Stop. Yeah, the next time you're going to post that picture when you're down at spring break in Florida, yeah. think twice about it. Right. Because employers do look at your social media. Absolutely, yeah. They check we do. you every way. And um, that's indicative of, of a certain amount of behavior. Um, you know, it, it, and it's not just coming to back to bite kids. I mean, it's coming back to bite politicians yep. and, and executives and corporations. Yes. You know, your That's online behavior is is just that. It's it's your behavior online for everybody to see. How could a how can a politician who posts naked pictures of himself or does something really irresponsible be so deluded as to not think that that's going to come back around at him. I don't know. And I, it know, can I, be traced. I, you know, if you're going to ask me to start explaining the minds of politicians, <laughs> I'm going to have to leave. <laughs> oh, don't leave. <laughs> I have another question that may or may not, uh, yeah, it has to be related. When you think of women and, and men in, in security and how we protect ourselves, do you find that there is a difference or with, with women and cybersecurity? Are we more careless? Are we not as careful? Do you have anything you can say about that? Wow, loaded question. I, I would love to talk about women in cybersecurity because that's a, that's a passionate topic for me, and, and maybe we could do that in a second. But um, I don't... I don't really know. I, I haven't seen any statistics on do women... Are women more careful than men? Are you know? I, I just or haven't seen versa. any statistics yeah. on it, but it's something I'd be interested in looking at. And um, um, but I would love to talk about women. Please, I, I want I want us to talk about that. So it's a, you know one of the you know CISOs have several challenges. I talked about one of them being able to quantify and measure risk and being able to explain that to the board. The other one is is building and retaining teams, right? And part of the challenge with that is. Only 10% of the cyber workforce are women. Only 10%. Only 25% of all computing jobs overall are filled with women. Women are leaving cyber jobs at an alarming rate. Why? The myth is they're going home to you know, stay-at-home moms or they're going home to have children. That's the myth. Yeah. The reality is that they're leaving to pursue other careers. Only 20% of all chief information security officers in the United States are women. And um, I'm, I'm really pleased to say that Emily Heath, who's the CISO at United Airlines, is on my board. And Emily just posted this wonderful uh, uh, story on LinkedIn recently in the last week where she talked about a journey where she took over at United as the CISO and she made a um, cognizant decision to create an inclusive culture within her CISO organization. And she was reporting that 48% of her team are women. Forty-two percent. Wow. Forty-two percent of wow. her team are minorities, and representing twenty-five nationalities. And and if you have the intent to do that, I had an opportunity to meet with uh, Dr. Cheryl Flank from the uh, National Center for Women in Information Technology. Um, and um, and if you haven't been to um, that um, NCWIT and looked at their website. 
Um, you can get some pretty startling statistics from their website. But um, part of it is it, it's, it's, you know, the CISO is, is, is in this country happens to be dominated by white males right. and older white males. And uh, I think it's, it, you know, it's a culture that's got to be changed. It's going to be changed by people like Emily. But, you know, men have to also address that. We're going to be doing a, a session in, in Chicago on October 24th. Emily's going to host it. And we've got uh, NC Witt coming in to uh, lead the conversation. But we're going to bring in a group of about 25 or 30 CISOs, and we're going to start talking about how in the NTSC we can start changing within our own companies and how we can create mm -hmm. inclusive cultures because it's, um, it's, that's something we really have to do. And, um, and then the third thing, and I'll, I'll wrap it up, is uh, you know, the proliferation of uh, security vendors. Uh, you know, coming after the CISOs. I mean, they have to be looking at innovation or they'll get behind, but they're exhausted. They're getting, you know, hundreds of emails a day, hundreds of phone calls a day. How do they discern the wheat from the chaff? And, uh, I mean, I was at a conference earlier this week, the Israeli Cyber Roadshow. We had over 16 cyber companies from Israel there, some really innovative, creative companies. How do they, you know, assess the, the, the value of all of those security solutions? So um, it's a challenging job, but um, you know, my, 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 I'm confident given the, um, you know, the, the, the intelligent people that I've had a chance to meet in the last um, two years that I've been doing this that uh, we're on the right path. It's just going to continue to be hard. Yeah, security within itself is a hard industry. It's very, very hard. I've been here for about 40 years now. Started as a security officer and have built my way up. Cybersecurity is definitely something that we are looking at uh, to be a, a part of our company, our service offerings as well. So I know that you and I are going to spend some time together okay. after, this, after this interview. Would you agree? I absolutely am. All right. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to Well, thank you for having it. me here today. You, you're just so full of information. And I know. And it's flowing so easily. Yep. 30 minutes is not enough time no. with you. No, And it's not enough time for audience either. I feel so, like we barely scratched the yeah. tip. Yeah. yeah. We, we'll bring you back if you'll come. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, this has been great. Audience, I know that you've learned something new today. I have as well, and I'm in the security industry. So uh, we're going to continue bringing you wonderful guests like Patrick and some of the others you've heard of that you've heard today and we're going to keep this thing moving because we believe it's working so how can someone get in contact with you uh, Patrick? they can uh, email me at patrick at ntsc.org uh, it's the easiest way there you go very good thank you so much again sarah thank you pleasure um, we'll see you next time all righty but sure. until then audience stay tuned for the Chick in Charge podcast. Thank you. Subscribe to The Chick in Charge at thechickincharge.com. Get a free download of Mary Parker's Tips for Success, tips that'll make short work of some of today's most challenging issues facing female business owners. Thanks for listening to The Chick in Charge.